So uh, this morning I get the um, enjoyable task of breaking down Mark chapter 13. Um, and um, just been praying, uh, was praying for the longest time when Josh told me that I would be the, um, the guy that's just kind of here for whenever the baby comes. Uh, I was like, God, please don't let it be Mark chapter 13. Please, any other chapter. <laughs> praying uh, a week ago um, that Nora would come early, <laughs> that we'd be able to see her. I'm going to sit just because I'll be honest, I'm a little nervous, so I might shake and everything. This is just a, um, it's, it's honestly, it's a difficult chapter to chew on. Um, there's a lot in here that can, can really distract us. There's a lot in here that can confuse us. There's a lot in this chapter that can um, cause us to focus on the wrong things in this life. Um, and I hope as we go through this that we'll, we'll see those dangers and we'll, we'll understand them and it'll help us understand this a little better. Um, I remember uh, growing up, I went to a, a Christian school and, um, to get my education in high school. And I remember there was uh, one teacher, he was our Bible teacher. And if we didn't want him to, to, uh, to teach us what the lesson was, we would ask him something about the end of the age. And he would go off on an hour and we didn't really have to listen and, and pay attention to him and everything. So, you know, half of my time... He was talking about this stuff, but I was never really listening. And, um, and I'll, I'll be honest, most of my life, I've kind of put it to the side and I've said, I don't really want to deal with this because <laughs> it's confusing. I don't really want to like, like um, tackle this. I want to just kind of know it's coming, it's going to happen. I don't really need to know what is going to happen. And I just want to uh, leave it to that. And then, uh, you know, God in his sense of humor gave me Mark chapter 13 to chew on all week. And my poor wife probably hasn't gotten a good, solid conversation out of me all week because I've been so distracted. And um, all the other chapters in Mark, we've been walking through Mark now and um, calling the series Pictures of Jesus. And every chapter, there's just like snapshots of who Jesus is, of what his life and his ministry was about. And in most of the other chapters, you can kind of take a piece of it and you can say, this is what I'm going to focus in. I'm going to really focus in on this picture of Jesus. And you don't have to tackle the entire chapter. Well, this chapter, it all kind of runs together. So I was like trying to find a piece to break apart and just be like, I'm going to hone in on this and forget about all this. But I just couldn't. So we're going we're gonna to sit back, take a deep breath, and we're going to try to make it through this this morning. And, um, and by the grace of God, hopefully we'll, pull, we'll walk away with something to uh, not only apply to our lives, but to really grow us in our faith and in our love for the Lord. And so... So we're going to be tackling all of Mark chapter 13. And there's a lot of different um, views on the end of the age. There's a lot of different scholars that don't see eye to eye. Um, There's probably most of us in this room probably don't even see eye to eye on exactly what's going to happen, on when it's going to happen, on how it's going to happen. And so um, if I was to try to take this apart and give you all of that, we'd be here for the next five days, um, and we probably still wouldn't understand what's going on. So what I wanted to do this morning is kind of pull it back in, in, in like a simple terms. Um, I'm a simple guy, and, and I want to do things that we do know. From this text, what are things that we know Jesus is saying will come? 
regardless of the time, regardless of trying to understand what's going to happen, exactly what it's going to look like in the end of time, what are things that we can pull away from this and we can know 100% this will happen. This is what Jesus was saying will happen. This is what Jesus was saying will come about. And, um, and in order to get there, the first thing we need to realize is Jesus is talking to his disciples. That's right where we have to start. That's the context of what we're looking at is what's happened in Mark chapter 12. They were in the temple and Jesus was talking about the greatest commandment. He had all these scribes and these Pharisees, these Sadducees. They were coming to him and they were asking all these questions. He was answering all of them, amazing all of them. And right at the end of chapter 12, we see the, the widow's might, the offering that had been had. And so they're in the temple. And then the reason we know he's talking to disciples is, is verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Okay, so now he's walking out of the temple. He's away from all these people. And what we're going to see through here is a discourse between him and his disciples. So he is, he is engaging them. He's not engaging the masses right now. He's not standing on uh, you know, one of the mountaintops or anything, like declaring everything to the masses. He's declaring things to the disciples. So the context of where we're at in this text, we know that that's who he's talking to. And so what I want to do this morning, and, and hopefully with uh, time and with much grace from the Lord, is I want to look at five things, five descriptions, five aspects, five characteristics of what Christ says will come about. What he's telling these disciples will happen. And then at the end, I want to look at what he then says our response should be to those things. Because it's all in the text. And we're just going to try, I'm going to... Um, probably just kind of let this speak for itself hopefully most of the morning. I don't have a lot to add to it. I don't have a lot of wonderful, amazing, insightful things because this really just shows a lot for us. So we're going to walk through this step by step. We're going to see these five different things that we know will happen, that we know Christ says will come about as he's talking to these disciples. And then we're going to look at what our response should be, what their response should have been. And and we're going to hopefully walk away praising uh, our God for who he is. So, let's just dive right in. The first thing that we see will come about is destruction. Destruction. Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 2. And as he came out of the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So the first thing that we see that Christ is telling these people will happen is destruction. Destruction will come about. These disciples, they're they're walking out of this this massive temple, this temple that Herod the Great built that was twice as big as the Temple of Solomon. So it was the center of Jerusalem. It was the focal point of everything that they had. And it's this just huge, gigantic, beautiful architecture. It is said that one of the stones... The largest that they found, it, could, it was measured 45 feet long, 11.5 feet high, and 12 feet deep. So they're walking out and they're seeing these beautiful, massive stones and they're going, look at this. Isn't this amazing? You know, and that's their focus. I mean, we just walked through Mark chapter 12. Josh just taught us last week that Christ is the cornerstone. He's been, he's been pointing them to himself all along. And as they walk out, they're still amazed by this architecture. They're still amazed by these stones and what they are. And what Jesus says is, he says, 
look at all these stones. You can see all these great buildings around you. He says, there will not be one left here, stone upon another, that will not be thrown down. So he says it's all coming to ruin. Everything that you see around you right now is coming to ruin. It's going to be destroyed. I, uh, when I moved up to uh, Boston, one of the things that just I love to do is I walk around and I look at all the architecture around here. The, the houses are just ginormous, um, these three and four family houses. The churches, the buildings are just these like old buildings, and I'm amazed by them. And that's like my joy is to go and walk, or when I'm driving, you know, Holly gets nervous because I'm always looking at the buildings around, and I'm not paying attention to driving because they're just the most beautiful things in the world. And sometimes it just hits me, and I go, all these things are going to come to ruin. Everything's going to come to ruin. Now this uh, prophecy that Jesus is giving, um, first, the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So there was an actual, literal time when the temple was destroyed, when uh, Rome entered under Titus, and they destroyed the temple, and they destroyed Jerusalem. So, um, so this destruction of this temple, of the actual buildings that they're seeing, literally did happen. But I also think what we can take away from this is it's also a type of things to come. It's a foreshadowing, and it's a reminder that everything that man builds will come to ruin. It's a reminder that there is a day when everything's going to be made new. And we put so much effort, and we put so much, so much um, uh, joy sometimes, and, and like me, I, I find so much satisfaction in looking at these massive buildings and these beautiful architecture, and sometimes I just need to remember it's going to come to ruin. Everything that I build in my own power no matter how large this stone may be, no matter how beautiful it may be, it's going to come to ruin. Something's going to come along and destroy it. Look throughout the Old Testament. Look throughout history. Every time an empire has risen up, an empire has been taken down. Every time something amazing has been built, inevitably it's been taken down. And we know from Isaiah 40 that the reason that happens is because God is the one who tears down these empires, who tears down these, these, um, these uh, rulers and leaders. He brings them to nothing, Isaiah 40 tells us. It tells us that he blows on them as wind um, and, and causes them to come to nothing. And that um, we know that he's in control of everything. We also know, look at, um, turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3. Another reason we know that destruction will happen in the end is... Mark was written by John Mark. Um, Josh has walked us through that before. And what we've seen is that John Mark um, walked specifically with Peter. So it's a secondhand um, account of Peter's interaction with Christ and of everything that Peter sees. So what I did is I, I looked at what Peter had to say about the, this end. And in Second Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 10, Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens, 
and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. In Revelation 21.1, we see um, John write that, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So the first thing that we can know from Christ saying to his disciples, from what he's telling them, things will come. First thing we can know is destruction will come. We can take away from that that the things that we build up in our own power are fleeting. There's only one who stands. And this caused me just all week to think about two questions I wanted to ask myself. And I'm not, I'm not going to really answer these. I'm just going to let you kind of, I'm going to ask them and let them maintain with you. You can write them down if you want to. First, where is your focus? This temple was the focal point of Jerusalem. It was the center of everything. It was this large, massive building. So to hear that it's going to be destroyed just kind of rocked their world. So the first question I just kept thinking was, where is my focus? What is my focus on in this life? Is it on the buildings? Is it on the home that I'm trying to get someday? Is it on my 401k? Is it on my job? Is it on these things that I'm building up? Is it on my guitar that I love? Is it, is it on my family? Is it, you know, where is my focus truly in this life? And the second thing is, what am I attempting to build? What am I attempting to build? And I encourage you just to think about those and, and let those kind of seep in. So the first thing that we, we can know that Christ says will come about uh, as he's teaching his disciples is that destruction will come. The second thing um, I see in this text that we can know will happen is deception. In verses 3 through 8, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things be, and what will be this be this sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. So the second thing I think we can take away from this that he's saying to his disciples is deception will come. He says there, there are people coming that will seek to lead you astray. People coming that will say, I am he. People coming that will, will, um, will try to lead you from the teachings of Christ. And he's telling his disciples, he's like, be on guard, stay alert. He says this so many times throughout this chapter. Be on guard, stay alert. And he says because deception is coming. Deception is coming. I think there are a few different ways we can see in these verses that deception is coming. The first, the first way deception can come is through people claiming to be Christ and to speak for Christ. We see that around us all the time. That there are people who have risen up over the years who claim to either be Christ or speak for Christ. That are people who are leading people astray from the truths of Christ because they claim to either be him or speak for him. And what we have to do as, as people bound by his love, as people who are, who are adopted into his family, is we have to know his words, we have to know his voice so intimately that we know when we're being led astray. That's why we join together on Sundays. That's why we, we seek to, to walk through the word and, and to walk through the Bible. That's why we're going through Mark right now, is to know Jesus so well that we won't be led astray. 
to know his words. That's why we gather together to do connections groups. That's why we rub shoulders with each other. That's why I called probably about five or six of my friends as I was going through this chapter and I asked them, what do you know about what Jesus says about the end times? You know, like we, we have fellowship with one another. We have the word. We can know what he's saying so that we can know when someone is coming to try to lead us astray. I think another way deception can come about that, um, that I see played out here is deception can come about through people claiming to know the dates and the time of his return. I think every two, year, two years there's another theory about when the end of the world will come. Um, this one right now I think is the Mayan um, calendar ends in 2012. So next year Christ is coming, you know. And the, the deception, what he says is he says, and, you, and when you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. And, and when I was reading that, I just, just kept, couldn't help saying that, like, there are wars. There are rumors of wars. We hear those all the time. And everybody wants to say, he's coming, you know, like, tomorrow. He's coming in 2012. He's coming in year 2000. Well, it's 11 years later. You know, the world didn't end in year 2000. We're still here. The truth of it is no one knows the date or time that he's coming. No one knows when he's coming, and deception can rise about that people try to, they come up and they say, this is when he's coming, and so many people flock to them because they don't know his voice. They don't know what he said about when, what's to come, and, and then they, they rise up in these cult-like situations, and something doesn't happen, and, and it shakes them up, and then where's their foundation? And then I think the, the third way we see deception coming is deception can come from people saying Christ will not come and things won't be renewed. Christ spells it out. He, he says it pretty plainly. He says that these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. And when I read the beginning of birth pains, I realized... This is the beginning of something that's going to happen. And we can try to tell ourselves that it, he's never coming, um, that, that it's not real, it's, it's bogus, it's something that we're, we don't have to hold on to, we don't have to worry about his return. But the truth is, as we read in verses 24 to 27, is the Son of Man will come in the clouds, and he will gather his elect, and he will, and the world will be made new, as we read in Revelation 21.1. And all things will take place, and God will come, and God will reign. And so the reality is, we might not know the date and time, but we do know that he is coming. And deception can come about by people trying to tell you that he's not coming. And that things won't be renewed. And they won't be made new. And that there's nothing to really hope in. <laughs> except for to live a good life now. So we saw in verses 1 through 2 that destruction is coming. We saw in verses 3 through 8 that deception is coming. The next thing we see in verses 9 through 13 is that persecution will come. Verses 9, uh, Jesus says, But be on your guard. For they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, 
but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for all my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The truth that he's telling is persecution will come. He's telling these disciples that you will be persecuted for my name's sake. This is not the first time that Jesus has said this. He said this in Matthew 5. He said this in Matthew, in Matthew 10. He says it over and over to these things. He's, he's preparing us. He's saying persecution will come. And what we need to realize is that persecution has come in the, in the form of the disciples. You can read it in Acts chapter 4. You can see that they were actually literally held before council of men. You can read it in, in Paul's writings in Second uh, Corinthians 11. You can see how many times he went before people all throughout the Acts um, being persecuted for the name of Christ. But the reality is his persecution can also come to us. See, we, we would like to say that if you follow Christ, it's going to be the easiest thing in the world. That nothing will ever go wrong. That everybody will always love you. That no one will ever hate you. That you'll be able to win everyone over with the, the new radiance that you have because you're a Christian. But the reality is, is persecution will come. It's promised. It's not just something that may come. It will come. Persecution can come in the public forum. It can come through your job. It can come literally... You know, there could be a day that one of us in this room does literally stand before some type of council or ruler being persecuted for believing in the name of Jesus Christ. Persecution can come from internal sources. Jesus says that brother will be against brother, that the father, their children, the children will rise up against parents. It can come within your family. Some of us have felt the persecution that has come within our family. Um, to stand and to trust in Christ and to hope for his glory to come does not mean that you will be free from persecution. Paul says to the Philippian church in Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. He tells them this is something that's been granted for you to have. And James, James tells us, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The reality in our lives is that persecution will come. Christ is telling these disciples that persecution will come, and Christ is telling us that persecution will come. But the thing I love about this section is that he also tells us that we're not left alone in all this. He says, when you're delivered up, don't be anxious beforehand on what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. There's a helper, helper that's been sent to us to, to guide us through those times, to keep us faithful to Christ, to give us the answers that we need you know, that we don't have to be anxious for this persecution that's going to come because we know we have strength in Christ to face it. We know we have brothers around us to help us walk through it. We know that, that the Holy Spirit will give us the words that we need to say. And, and that's, that's the light inside of the persecution. So first we see destruction. I'm kind of walking through these probably a little fast, but that's okay. First we just see destruction. We see 
deception, we see persecution, and then we see tribulation. In verses 14 through 23. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back or to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. False Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. So he's telling them that tribulation will come. Difficulty will rise. And there's a little bit of debate. um, I'm not going to go into it a lot um, of verse 14, the abomination of desolation. There's debate as to whether that's the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70, where literally it reads in history books that blood, red and blood, filled the streets, that Rome literally destroyed all of Jerusalem, that the, um, the Israelites did flee to the mountains and flee to Judea and everything. And, um, and that could be a part of this prophecy. could also be a, a double prophecy like we see often in the Old Testament of that and things to come. The abomination of desolation um, you know, has also been said that that's you know, the Antichrist sitting on his throne and everything. So there's a lot of different speculation on what that exactly is. But the reality is, is that things are getting increasingly worse. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult, and there's going to be a time when when you may have to flee, when you may have to run to the mountains. There's going to be false Christs that come up. There's going to be people, once again, that are leading us astray. Times will get difficult. Tribulation will come. It's a promise. So that's about all I'm going to say on that. (laughs) So I hope that's okay. Um, and And then finally, the last thing that we see will come is verses 24 through 27. We see unification. Up until now, I feel like it's all been like doom and gloom, wah, 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 woe is me, uh, you know, things. Every, everything up until now, Christ has said, you know, the temple's going to be destroyed, so your focal point, your safe haven in society is going to be torn down. Persecution is going to come. Deception's going to come. Difficulty's going to rise. You're going to have to flee. And if somebody's nursing... I really hope it doesn't happen in the winter. <laughs> you know, and that's like where he's been going and it's just been leading like a downward spiral and things are getting progressively worse. And then we hit verse 24 and what we see is something that is so marvelous and so beautiful and so magnificent that it's the hope that we cling to. It's what we hold to to get through all of this turmoil. And it says, but in those days after that tribulation, so after that difficulty, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. 
Unification is coming. What I mean by that is, A, what we see is the Son of Glory is coming in power. It's a magnificent sight. It's just a, a beautiful description of just the power of Christ's coming. We see that the, the sun is darkened, that the moon doesn't give its light, that the stars are falling from heaven and the powers of heavens will be shaken. Um, whether that's literal or metaphorical, it's, it's magnificent. It's powerful. It's huge. It shows the glory of Christ as he's coming in the clouds, as he's coming to bring us home. And then it says that he's gathering his elect So yes, there will be destruction. Yes, there will be deception. Yes, there will be persecution. Yes, there will be tribulation. But one day you'll be unified with your Savior. One day you'll be taken with him. And this is something that um, if there was a section of the portion of Scripture that I would have taken out, it would have been this. Because... I think we need to realize that that's happening. (laughs) Listen, this, this world has a lot of things to offer. There's a new technology that catches my eye probably, you know, every month. Apple, iPad 2. I'm a, I'm a huge tech buff. Get that a little bit from my dad. So I see technology and I'm like, ooh, me like it, you know. And, it, and it's beautiful. It's magnificent. It's awesome that someone can make something smaller and smaller and smaller, yet do more and more things. You know, there's beautiful structures here in Boston that I could drive around for days and just continue to look at and, and think, this is just amazing. I love my family. I look at my daughter all the time and I see just, this is so amazing. This life is so great, but something better is coming. That's the truth. And if it happens tomorrow, it's glorious. If I'm finally unified with Christ tomorrow and I've gotten one month with with my little daughter, it's far better. See, Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because when we die, we gain Christ. When we die, we come face to face with this Son of glory, with all of His power, with all of His, his, his strength, with all of His care, with all of His love. And, and we're finally not at war with ourselves and our flesh. We're at peace with Christ, and it's so much better. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that, and we think that this life is better than that. That I would rather live than die. And it's hard. It's hard. Dying's scary. It doesn't seem great. The fact that Christ could come back and I only got one month with my daughter sometimes scares me if he comes back tomorrow. But I have to remember that it's a glorious thing for him to come back. It's a glorious thing for me to be unified with him. It's a glorious thing for me to have a new body. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, to be raised up with him. I mean, why did, why did Peter and John and James pitch up tents when they saw him in this transfiguration? It's because it was magnificent and they didn't want to go anywhere else. As Josh said, when we come face to face with that, when we start to think about the glory more and more in our lives, we realize that there's something better to come and it's what we're hoping for. It's what we're longing for. And we can get distracted by everything in this world and we can forget that one day we're going to be unified with Christ. We're going to be unified 
with the elect. We're going to be unified with those who have trusted in him in, in perfection, in glory. Finally seeing him, not in a mirror, as Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, but we'll see him face to face. That we'll know him as we have been fully known. It's going to be beautiful. So those are the things that, that, I, that I think as we look in this scripture, those are the things we can hold on to and we can say we know these things will happen. And we know that destruction will come. We know that deception will come. We know that persecution will come. We know that tribulation will come. We know that unification will come. We might not know when, when it will come. We might not know if it already has come. You know, I think you can look through this and you can say, we've heard rumors of wars. We've seen wars. We see earthquakes. We see all these things. So the, the reality is, is when we, when we pop into these next passages and when we look at our response, we can, we can learn from the fig tree. And we can say the branches are out and Christ could come at any point in time. And so our response is preparation. Holly helped me with the alliteration. Our response has to be preparation. We have to be prepared over and over again. Christ says, be on guard. And he says, stay awake. I mean, this is, this is active. This is a challenge. This is something that he's, he's wanting people to get. Be on guard. Stay awake. Realize that these things happen. And when you see these things, what it means is that I could, I'm near. I'm at the gates. I'm knocking. I'm coming back. Don't fall asleep. Be on guard. Be prepared. Preparation has to come. Preparation is our response when we see all these things, and preparation happens now. And there's three ways I think we can prepare, and we can see how to prepare in this time. The first way is to trust in the grace and power of Jesus Christ. Trust in the grace and power of Jesus Christ. This is not just a one-time thing that, that we, we trust in his grace and power to save us. This is trusting in him to constantly be what holds us up in this life, what gets us through persecution, what helps us to stand firm in deception. We trust in his grace. We trust in his power. We see his power and his grace displayed through the scriptures and we trust that we hold firm to him. Paul says in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's, that's grace and power. That's, he is what's to be trusted. He is who we cling to. It first happens when we trust him to cover us, to wash us with his blood. When we take communion, we say, your blood is sufficient to save me, to make me righteous. There is nothing else that I need but you, Jesus. And then we trust him to daily teach us how to live, to daily give us strength, to face persecution, to face the tribulation, to face deception, to hold others up, to be held up. We have to trust in him. Second thing I think that just resounds through these chapters of Way Prepare is to hold loosely to the things of this world. Hold loosely to the things of this world. The temple was, as I said, the focal point for their lives. It was where they went to be with God. It was what they held on to. It was, it was the center point of Jerusalem. 
And, and I can't imagine hearing it's going to be destroyed. <laughs> I can't imagine what that's like. Or to hear that brothers will rise up against brothers, fathers against their children, children against their parents. These things of this world, what, what we have here on earth, is something we need to hold loosely onto because it could all vanish tomorrow. And what's left is Christ. What's left is, is glory. And everything that we, we cling to in this world, we need to learn how to hold loosely to it. In Matthew 6, Christ talks about holding loosely onto these things of this world. If you want to turn there, I just want to read this. This has become kind of uh, a little portion of Scripture that I've just kind of in, ingrained in my mind as, as something to meditate on when, when I long for the things of this world. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Hold loosely to the things of this world. These treasures that we've stored up in ourselves, hold loosely to them. Because if that tribulation is the, if the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist sitting on his throne, and we've got to run from our houses and flee to the mountaintops. We're not going to be able to turn back. We're not going to be able to turn back. And we're not going to be able to take any of that with us. Hold loosely to the things of this world. And then finally... A way to prepare, I'll wrap this up really quickly, is have a healthy anticipation for the return of the king. And I hone in on healthy because we need a healthy anticipation of this return because if it's unhealthy, what we do is we consume ourselves with the dates and the times and the descriptions of what's going to happen and, and, and we buy all the books and, and all the, the things that we can do so we can know exactly what we're going to going to face and we forget to look at what's around us in life and we forget to tell people about Christ and we forget to talk to our friends about it and we forget to help the poor and feed the hungry and we're so focused on the fact that he's coming back that we forget that there are things that we're called to do here on earth. In Mark chapter 12, he says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and your strength. And the second is like these, to love your neighbor as yourself. And if we have an unhealthy anticipation for the return of king, we will fail to both love the Lord and our neighbor. Because we'll be just consumed with, with the details. So we need a healthy anticipation. A healthy anticipation does long for his return though. <laughs> It doesn't just say, I don't want it to come. It says, come, Lord Jesus. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It longs to be with Christ, but it's not so consumed with that that it doesn't live 
and love and spread his glory to those around us. It doesn't forget to tell other people to stay awake. A healthy anticipation longs for it, but it also realizes that we're the vessels that he's chosen to spread his glory and to prepare other people for his coming. We have lots of different ways here at the church to, to develop a healthy anticipation, whether it's getting involved in the, the Washington Street complex and, and ministering to people there, whether it's giving of, of a portion of the money that you make and trusting God, you know, whether it's holding loosely to the things of this world or giving up clothes when someone needs it. You know, there's lots of ways to, to focus your life on a healthy anticipation. And then we come on Sunday mornings and we sing of the glory of Christ and we worship together and we speak of him as though he's coming tomorrow and we say, come Lord Jesus. But we're not so focused on the details and so focused on what's going to happen, when it's going to happen that we fail to connect with other believers, to spur them on in love. We fail to see the poor man on the side of the road and we walk right by him. The Samaritan, whatever parable you want to put in there, there lots of them that pertain to it. So develop a healthy anticipation. And... um, and live in light of his coming. Don't deny it. Live for it. Love it. Long for it. Know him more so you can be prepared. Build a body around you so you can be held up. And trust in the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you and I praise you that your word is truth. And that regardless of any failure I may have to accurately proclaim it, it stands firm. God, I ask that you would just open our eyes to see you more clearly, to know you to long for you. Give us grace each and every day. Help us to love those around us. And help us to live in light of your name and your renown. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.